0: Good evening. Glad to welcome everybody back tonight. Uh, I'm gonna start off with, you guys are lucky, I'm gonna tell you. I know I've said this in the past, but it seems like every time that I get ready to do this, I get ready to print it off, the sermon, take, you know, print off my notes. Either the power goes out, I run out of ink, I gotta run up and get printer paper, can't find printer cartridges, something seems to always happen. So I got paranoid and I started carrying another sermon and Bible just in case. Well, printed this off last night so that I would make sure that, you know, be proactive, so be ahead of the game. So got ready to come to church this evening, left early so I could get here. Got down the block, and I realized I left it on the printer. <laughs> so, remembered, caught it early, so got, so I didn't have to use the backup. So, it's out in the truck, just in case. Uh, yeah, Doug's always been getting on to me for not putting sermon, uh, sermon titles. I always, when I develop a sermon, I go through notes. I go, It's usually based off of what I've been studying, just something current or something that interests me. And... Uh, Certain titles are just the world's worst, but we do have a title this time. It's called, Hey Noah, It's a New Generation, or My Boat's Better Than Your Boat. So, we're going to talk about the world first, and the church. And it's faced with totally different set of values than that, say, of the 1950s or 1960s, or even the 70s, 80s, or even the 1990s. And I guess it can be said about every generation that as time changes, so do human values and morals, or at least it seems like. I was raised in the 1960s and 70s, so I'm not that old. So that, I mean, that's what I draw from my personal experience from that time frame. I graduated in 1980. But uh, some here tonight can draw their conclusions or Uh, aspects based on say 1950s or 60s. Yep, others from the 80s or 90s or even some from the 2000s. But what we need to remember even though from generation to generation society may change, God remains the same. Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord I do not change. And in Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My intention tonight is not to belittle any generation. Uh, It's just a matter of fact that as generations grow older and new generations take our places, that we're able to look back and see changes. Some good, some not so good. Anyone who grew up in the 60s or earlier it's always said, they'll say, it was a simpler time. And I think that's gonna be said as each generation grows up. Yeah, and I was born in December of 61. Just in time to witness, it was a major cultural revolution which was about to take place in the United States. Music had changed, we had the Beach Boys and the Beatles, they were coming as, as the norm, and then it progressed from there. and just as I was getting to where I could get past, you know, say six or eight, the Vietnam War was starting up. And that was the beginning of an uprising and a total shift in our culture. Protests against the war were commonplace. It brought about this whole, I'm okay, you're okay, just let me do my own thing culture. And that was on the move. I can remember growing up that it was a common sight to see convoys of military vehicles. They were all headed south, uh, just growing up prior, watching them go down Highway 69. And even in the late 60s and early 70s, it became commonplace to see military military helicopters, UH UH-1 Hueys and some Chinooks flying south, using Highway 69 more or less as roadmap. They were headed to other bases and ports in the south before being sent overseas. But as Vietnam, the war became to, came to a close, all of a sudden those convoys, they were headed north instead of south up Highway 69, as were the helicopters. And it was just a common sight at the time. And, but like I said, it was all of a sudden a shift as, the, as they were downsizing in Vietnam. All of a sudden those those were headed north instead of south but growing up and my brother and I or my cousin Jeff we would always go over to Roosevelt Park because we lived in Pryor and we lived just a few houses away from the school but we'd go over there and play usually we would play basketball one summer we were playing basketball at the courts there and some jeeps with soldiers in them pulled up and First thing you noticed was their uniforms. They weren't the starched, crisp, dark green uniforms that you would expect to see. These were clean, but they somehow almost looked dirty and worn out. It just didn't fit. It It just looked strange. But the strangest thing happened. These guys got out of their Jeeps, and they were super polite and almost timid. They yes, asked, they would just play basketball with us. I guess we looked just as astonished and confused as they did when one of the soldiers spoke up and said, they hadn't seen basketball going in a couple of years and all they wanted to do was shoot, you know, shoot baskets with us. I mean, we were just kids, so bounced the ball over to them, we played basketball. It all started out kind of slow, nobody really said anything, but within just a matter of minutes, everyone was smiling, laughing, Every time, you know, somebody would score a goal, everybody was shouting, like I said, smiling and laughing. I guess this went on for about an hour when one of them noticed the time and they all ran and grabbed their uniform shirts and started to kind of almost run back to their Jeeps saying they had to catch up with their their unit. But I'll never forget, one of them turned around and came back over to us and he shook each and every one of our hands. And... uh, as he shook our hands, he, it almost looked like he had a tear in his eye, but he told us thanks for letting them play you know, basketball with us. That was the most fun they had had in four years. It took some time for that to sink in. I was probably, I'm guessing, 10 or 12 at the time. But as I got older, it started to sink in what those guys had gone through those previous four years. That something as simple as shooting basketball goals for an hour or so, that could be such a big deal. I mean, as a kid, at first, all I could think of was, don't they have basketball goals in the Army? Found out later they didn't. (laughs) But as I got older, my thoughts shifted to how they looked almost shell-shocked at the beginning. I guess that would be a good term for it. But by the time they got done, they were just as kids, just like us. Now, as a grown adult, with grandkids, I'm still not that old. I sorta hope to think that somewhere there's somebody that's telling the same story, except from a different perspective, but the same story, except with the addition of maybe something like, as we were coming back from Vietnam, instead of getting spit on or yelled at at an airport, we saw these kids playing basketball and stopped, and instead of being ridiculed, we actually got to feel like normal guys, just normal guys playing basketball, even if it was only an hour and we got to forget about everything that had gone on the previous four years but as I became a grown adult and got to be able to think about this knowing now the culture of some of the United States in the early 70s during that troop reduction mid-70s I came to better realize the meaning of Matthew 18 3 which says and ver and, and said verily I say unto you except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. At a time in the United States when so many young people were becoming so judgmental, so self-centered, that all high and mighty opinion of themselves, that a person would rather ridicule someone instead of taking a few minutes, just a few minutes, and letting someone else just be themselves. Just being so non-judgmental of somebody, like that of a child. But just as the 70s passed, so did that culture. Now we moved on to even more change. By the end of the 80s and into the 90s and 2000, our culture, it kept changing with each generation. This shift in culture was given way to just keep an open mind and don't be so judgmental mindset. This also was just a start of an all out out attack on the church. Our morals were neutralized and we slowly made a retreat from making moral distinctions because it seemed like every time you did, somebody would accuse you of something, of being hateful or whatever just because we didn't agree with them. We were made to feel that we weren't responsible We were told you're not responsible for life's messes, not responsible for the world's messes. Psychologists told us that we were the way we were because that's the way our parents raised us or treated us and that we shouldn't be made to change into something that we weren't. We were told just to be ourselves. That wasn't original, that was back in the 60s, free to do our own thing. We were told by our teachers, and I can remember this as I went back to college, We were told by our teachers in school that the old way of teaching or learning was outdated. We were told that these old ideas being taught like absolutes of right and wrong and God's views of morality were traditional methods, outdated and ineffective. Instead, we were taught these new methods of learning such as group consensus and individualism we were no longer required to meet the demands of a lecturer who expected us to absorb, take notes, and master a specific amount of information in a set amount of time. Now we could just work at our own pace and free, be free to push ourselves at our own pace. Learn at your own schedule. When I went back to college to get my degree, I got my degree in 2005, four something like that, before I could graduate, I had to take a math class and I'd already had trigonometry and and worked my way through all the math classes. I had to go back and take an entry level math course where there were no absolutes, there were no wrong answers. Everything was an estimate. And I thought, where was that when I was learning algebra? (laughs) But now, the saddest part of all this is as generations progressed, We were taught that belief in the Bible isn't intellectual. That we could believe in creationism if we wanted to, but in actuality, those were just stories from a book of fiction. We were told that science says it couldn't have happened that way. It was just stories passed down through generations. That we could go on believing in creationism, but that the Bible, or at least parts of it, weren't based on scientific or imperial data that the new generation of intellectuals based their opinions and beliefs on hard facts, on scientific information generated by people with MS or PhD after their names, with most of the new modern and acceptable information coming from people who had doctorates before their names, called doctors, which always confused me because how could you be a doctor if you didn't have a medical, but anyway so I don't have a doctor. <laughs> but, uh, so who, who were you going to believe? Someone telling you in a pulpit that was trying to condemn you? Or are you going to believe someone who actually looked at scientific imperial data and based their opinion on that? Basically, we were told we were simple-minded or you were an intellectual. It was your decision. But 2 Timothy, 316-17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I don't think there's anybody here tonight that would disagree with that or the validity of that, validity of that scripture. But let's take the account of Genesis chapters six through eight, the account of Noah. In today's society, I don't think, I can't think of any other period in biblical history that has been so ridiculed more frequently or with greater effort than the account of a global flood. This is a desire of man to eliminate God as the creator. If Satan can instill doubt of the validity validity of scripture, then he can instill doubt of the validity of God. There can be no doubt that the Genesis account of global and universal flood has become the target of sustained and concentrated attacks. The goal of which is to discredit the account in its entirety and to discredit the nature of God and as the creator and the one and only living God. At times, it even seems that mankind delights in attempting to undermine the faith of Christians by showing that the whole account recorded in Genesis is ridiculous based on what they call scientific data. Insert in there, I worked with a gentleman that was, a, well, I worked with several that were geologists and uh, Two of them in particular were, they were Christians. But they had the hardest time because being geologists, they would get in position with those people with the doctorates and the people running the jobs that they had to disagree with the age of the earth or creationism. And I know both of them do not work in that field today because of that reason. And it's just sad to think that that can happen to a person that at some point, society is gonna make you choose between the two. That you spent all that time, money, and effort and worked in that field for say 10, 12 years, plus the cost that it cost, you know, took to get you know, a master's in that, you know, in geology. And then to totally have to switch Jobs and everything, just because you know society wouldn't agree with creationism. But as we go through history, just a brief study of history shows that for centuries prior to our current current age, scientists and theologians both attributed many of Earth's major features to a great flood or global flood of Noah. And generally, all were in agreement with the teaching of the Bible concerning creation and the global flood. But sadly, most geology in American high schools and colleges no longer teach a biblical creation. Some do, but most don't, even as an alternative to a multi-million year old earth. Most, in fact, even take delight, again, in ridiculing the biblical creation account and rule it out of modern thinking as naive or absurd or even just folklore of primitive man. It seems that Satan has pitted modern science and the evolutionists against biblical authority, even when their own science and geology supports the theory of a global flood. Facts such as the explanation of major geological formations can only be explained by a global flood or finding a major silt layer all over the earth that could only have been formed by a global flood event. Several years ago, I know some know that I did some archeological and environmental work in several uh, southern states for a major pipeline company and traveled a lot. But during our surveys, we found uh, all the time fossils along with other artifacts. But most of these fossils that we'd find were sea creatures and fish. We found these fossils at sites that were at sea level. We found these same fossils at sites that were 500 and 600 feet above sea level. We even found these same fossils and sites that were 3,000 plus feet above sea level in Ozark National Forest. Now geologists could attempt to explain this by saying that those were there at sea level until a major geological event happened forcing, you know, from the Earth's internal pressure which forced these massive chunks of granite up forming mountains and they were trapped on top. When you find these same fossils on surface as well as just a few feet under in the dirt at the same sites, that theory doesn't hold true. I even had geologists agree with me several times that the only way that we could have fossils found at all these different, same fossils, at all these different varying elevations and also at surface and subsurface depths was based on a global flood event. Now, my purpose tonight isn't to provide some scientific or whatever argument to the flood, but simply to make a point of how society has and is changing as generations change. Christians want to be able to quote scripture and agree with that scripture that is given by inspiration of God, but turn around and deny the Genesis account of creation and Noah and the global flood. We want to quote and agree with Deuteronomy 4.2 and also with Revelation 22.18-19 that we can't add to or take away from the Bible, but we want to accept the parts we agree with and discount the parts we don't. I've even heard some I hate to use the word educated, but people that I've, preachers that, they've got a lot more education in it than I do, that try to explain it away, that the first few books of Genesis, or first few chapters of Genesis, well, Genesis as a whole is unreliable and, and inaccurate that Moses somehow included folklore into these writings. But they failed to realize or explain how the apostles even recounted the account of Noah in the New Testament. If the Genesis account were not correct, would not inspired men who walked with Jesus and were guided by the Holy Spirit, wouldn't they have known that Moses got it wrong? We read in 2 Peter 2.5, which says, and did not spare the ancient world, but Noah, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of, of the ungodly. Now, not only the account of the global flood, but also Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Always, one thing that always kind of Makes me chuckle, I guess, every time I read this part in Second Peter about Noah, that he was a preacher of righteousness, it's not that that part's funny in itself, but in respect when we take an account Genesis 6, 3, which says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. God had decided to destroy all breathing things, man, to to the time that Noah was done in the ark. And that period of time from the time God made that decision to the time Noah had completed the ark was 120 years, according to Genesis 6.3. Now, it doesn't say exactly how long Noah actually physically worked on the the ark. It's generally accepted somewhere between 45 and and the 120 years. But the funny part, I don't know of a church today that if they had a preacher that didn't make at least one convert in 50 years, let alone 120 years, they wouldn't fire that preacher. But God didn't fire Noah. Even though Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and yet the whole time he failed to get one convert convert, except for his own family members. Even at a time that the whole earth was basically a moral cesspool, Noah was not able to save one other soul besides that of his own family. Genesis 6, 5 through 6 describes, it describes exactly what the world looked like at that time. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the the earth, and he was grieved in his heart." Now, can you imagine living somewhere in the world where everyone was totally given over to evil except for yourself? Can you imagine how hard it would have been to avoid evil, to stay faithful to God? Can you imagine the, just the temptation? One thing that strikes me as the hardest part is dealing with sinful men every day. Have you ever noticed how man cannot stand to be the only person, the only one sinning? I mean, it, it seems to be human nature to try to force someone who isn't doing exactly what they are doing into doing that same sinful act. If sinful man isn't able to get that person or to get a person to sin right along beside him, then he wants to force that person to do so. And if force doesn't work in extreme conditions, he'll go as far as to kill that person, either out of paranoia or fear. So Noah didn't have an easy time being a preacher of righteousness during that period, let alone just trying to exist during the time where all mankind was living in sin and following God's will and building the ark. But yet Noah stood firm. Noah not only stood firm, but he also went about the construction of the ark at that time. Can you imagine just how Noah must have stood out among the crowd during that period? And we sometimes complain how hard it is to be a Christian while living in a nation that has the religious freedom that we have here in the United States. Think of the ridicule Noah went through. Even today, I can imagine every person here tonight can remember the comedy act of Bill Cosby, where the punchline is, what's a cubit? I imagine we all laughed about it in the 20th and the 21st centuries. Noah probably thought he was living in hell on earth yet Noah went about doing God's work. Even as much as Noah stood out in a totally corrupt world, he still had a job to do, to construct the ark per God's instructions. Can you imagine living again in a totally corrupt world, such as that was when Noah, in a world where everyone is totally given over to evil and yet still being obedient to God. And again, at the same time, constructing a boat that was the, by the size of approximately the size of a World War II aircraft carrier. That thing's gonna stick out, people. It's not something small. I mean, it's something that's gonna stand out. You couldn't miss it. It's gonna draw a lot of attention. Peter tells us, in Second Peter chapter three, that our responsibility today to preach the word is not that much different than when Noah than what Noah went through. Well Second Peter chapter three three through seven says, Knowing this verse that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which in the world that the existed, existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Just as the rain and flood came at the time of Noah, so will the destruction of this world and the judgment. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You know, the same arguments, excuses, ridicule that Noah received is alive and relevant to us today as we try to persuade men. One commonality is the argument I'm sure Noah must have had dealt with, and that's the people who could not believe that an ark was necessary to save them of an impending flood. Just as today, many argue they can't even believe that you need to be baptized and the church are not necessary to be, in order to be saved. I mean, couldn't God save the righteous without having to use some big boat? I can hear that same argument today. You mean to tell me that the church is necessary to be saved? Well, why don't you go ask the people who were standing neck deep in the flood waters as they were rising if the ark was necessary to be saved? Or what about the idea of one boat? One boat's as good as the other, isn't it? What if Noah's sons decided that the ark was going to be too noisy, too smelly with all these animals inside it? We could just build another boat somewhat like the ark and live in it. Then when it came time for lunch or supper, we just pull up beside the ark, eat, spend time with mom and dad. Then we go back to our own boat, have some peace and quiet. Wouldn't that work? Well, we hear that same argument. Isn't one church just as good as the other? I mean, the church that Jesus established is just way too hard. It's got all those rules and it's no fun. Can't we just build our own church so we can have fun and entertainment? Maybe on Christmas and Easter we can go visit mom and dad's church, but then we're going to go back to ours where we can have some fun. Sound like the same argument, just like with Noah. Was one boat just as good as of another? Is one church just as good as another? Well, let's go ask those people who were clinging onto the side of that ark as those floodwaters came up. Or I think it'd be better if we just read Ephesians chapter 4, verses four through six, which says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So according to Ephesians, is one Lord as good as as another? Is one faith as good as another? How about one baptism? Is it as good as the other, one another? One God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So no, one is not as good as the other. There is only one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. There's only one salvation. Well, what about this argument? Noah probably heard, sort of along the same line, but okay, listen, Noah, you've convinced me. There may, there just might be a flood coming. I'll buy that, you might be right. There's only one boat, that can survive the flood. But listen, that one boat, I'll buy it, but we gotta make some changes. First, I ain't going into some boat full of spiders and snakes. I don't like spiders and snakes. Let's build a smaller boat that we can tow behind the ark. A smaller boat, one we can have fun on. We'll call it a party barge. One that's got lots of windows, so we can, you know, it won't be so dark and dreary on the inside. What do you think, Noah? Can we do that? I think I can handle to be saved if I can ride along on that party barge instead. Well, it's still the same today. Man cannot help himself. He just can't accept that God knows best. Man has to just try to improve every time on God's plan. Give it time. Somebody will come up with the bigger, better, brighter idea. And it's the same, it's that way in the church. Man always comes up with what he thinks is a bigger, better deal to improve on what God created. If Noah had altered God's plans on the ark, it no longer would have been the ark that saved. If man has to alter God's plans for the church, it no longer will be the church that saves. Man is not at liberty to make changes to God's plans for Christ's church. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, the Israelites, God bless them, they had a a hard time. They, it seemed like they just couldn't make up their mind. But every time they had to learn the hard way. They never could take the easy way. They never could obey. They did for a while, but they always had to learn a hard lesson. But they learned that they couldn't substitute man's teachings and works for the works and the ways of God. And we read this in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, which says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You know, it's the same with the church today. We may not have a full understanding of all of God's ways and all of God's plans that he has for us, but he's given us all that we need to understand for now. He's given us what we need for right now. You know, man may think that he has a way to improve on Christ's church. It happens every time. He may even think of ways to spice things up, liven it up a little bit, improve on the thing, you know, on things to make it more liking and more appealing to man. But without God's blessing, no plan, but God's plan will succeed. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. God gave his only begotten son to die on that cross for our sins. Christ established his church based on his pattern. Even with all that, Even with everything that Jesus gave, going through the pain and suffering which led up to that horrible crucifixion, even through all that, many cannot even make an effort to attend services of the church. We we proclaim this one message that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who gave his life so that we might be saved. We proclaim this message, even if it makes us unpopular in the world. You know, many, kind of bringing this to a close, I could go on, (laughs) I get wound up on this. You know, many need to swallow their earthly pride and accept the plans of God and walk in accordance to the pattern that God set before us. You know, if you've found struggles and it's hard to walk in that in accordance to this pattern, or maybe you've strayed because it's so hard to follow. And fallen away and need the prayers of the church. You know, always know. It's always available. That's always available. And I don't think, I know many in here know, the prayer works. And the prayers of the church, that can be very comforting and very supporting. You know, this is why we offer this invitation every, at every service. We make that available. But if you need these, the prayers of the church, you know, just know that we are here for you. And if you do need that, come now as we stand and sing.